But we're going to continue our study not only in Exodus, but in the Ten Commandments. The, the title of my sermon this morning, Preparing for Glory. Here's the big idea. We gather every Lord's Day in preparation for our eternal rest and in order to preview our eternal rest. And so the two operative words, did you catch them? Preparation and preview. That's what the Lord's Day is all about. Preparation and preview. Now, I grew up playing soccer. I grew up playing a lot of sports, but soccer was always my favorite, which uh, for East Texans, it's probably the least favorite. That's okay. I, I love soccer. I've always enjoyed playing it. I played select ball growing up. I played in high school. I played in college. And for us, if you play soccer or any sport, practice is a big deal, right? Especially coaches. Coaches take practice seriously. Why? Because when we practice, we're preparing. We're preparing for the next game. It matters that the players show up to get ready. But also, if you watch a team play at practice, it's really, it should resemble what's going to happen on game day. And so if you came to one of our practices, you would see players lined up just the way they'd be lined up during a game. You would see us moving the ball around just the way we do it for a game. And so the reason we would practice was to prepare, but also to preview. Church, that's why we gather. We gather to prepare for glory. When we gather under the word of God, sanctification is happening because we gather under the word of God with the people of God and the spirit of God works through the word of God to make the church more like the son of God. Amen? And so this is preparation, but it's also a preview. What's happening right now is a preview of what's to come. We're going to gather in glory one day with all the saints, and we're going to serve and praise our king. Amen? So this is an important time, and let me continue with the soccer analogy. I would get so bummed when players didn't show up because we couldn't prepare the way we needed to. And if players didn't show up, there wasn't much of a preview, right? We're, we're missing key players and key positions. It is so important that we prioritize this gathering. We need you, amen? We need each other to prepare well. We need each other to prepare well and to preview well. Your commitment, my commitment to gather has implications for the local church. And a failure to gather hurts the whole body. It really does. I have one goal this morning. I want to answer three questions related to the Sabbath. This is a tough commandment, and I'll, I'll share why I think it is, and I think you'll agree with me. Here are the three goals related to the question of Sabbath today. Number one, so again, one goal, three questions that we're going to answer. So we're going to answer three questions. What is it? What is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Number two, What's the, this is a big word or a big phrase, what's the biblical theological significance of the Sabbath? More specifically, how does the Sabbath relate to Christ in the gospel? How does the Sabbath relate to Christ in the gospel? And number three, and this is the one you're probably waiting for and excited about, what do we do with it today? How does the fourth commandment apply to the church today? So we have the what, the why, and the how of the Sabbath. Number one, what is the Sabbath and where does it come from? This is the what. What does Sabbath mean? Anybody? Stoppage. 
Stoppage, that's what the Hebrew word means. Sabbath means stoppage. <laughs> Doug Stewart writes, the Sabbath is the stopping day, okay? It's the stopping day. The day on which one's regular work ceases or stops both for the sake of giving laborers or workers a break from their daily routine. So there's that. And for the sake of providing a focus on God that is weekly heightened. Now, how do most Christians view the fourth commandment today? I would argue that many don't think about it at all. We don't think about it much. Or if we do, right, we argue that it really has no relevance for us today. And if it does and we try to overemphasize it, we enter into legalism. The Ten Commandments, I think, for the most part, are really clear what they call for. But the Fourth Commandment, we find ourselves scratching our head. What do we do with this? This call to rest, the Sabbath. That sounds very Old Testament. So what do we do with it? I'm going to argue that to neglect the Fourth Commandment is to miss out on something sweet and transformative for the body of Christ. What we're going to see, and I hope it's clear this morning, is that Christ has transformed the fourth commandment, but he's not eradicated it. Okay, It's not gone. The fourth commandment is pregnant with theological significance. It is eschatologically charged. It's a big word. Eschatology refers to the study of the end times. The Sabbath, more than any of the other commandments, the fourth commandment is meant to prepare us for glory. It prepares us for and points us to what's to come. And at the heart of the Sabbath is worship. So again, we must view it as both what? Preparation and preview. Preparation and preview for glory. Um, in verse 8, there's two main verbs. Two main verbs related to the fourth commandment. See if you can catch them. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So keep holy and remember Okay, so remember, this comes from the Hebrew verb zakar. Now, we've looked at this verb already. It means to observe and commemorate, which begs the question, on the Sabbath, what were God's people meant to remember and commemorate about God? Like, what are we supposed to remember? Who likes to forget things? None of us. We hate it when we forget things. And so God is calling us to remember something about himself. Now, this is counterintuitive because... To remember is a call to action. But the Sabbath is all about resting. Action and resting seem to be opposites, right? So think of this as an active resting. It's an active resting. It's a day, the Sabbath was a day to worship, recognize, and remember. So let me just give a little background here. This verb to remember is a key verb in the book of Exodus. And it's also used quite a bit in the New Testament. To remember here is a call to worship. It's a call to look back on what God has done and who he is. So we gather, this makes sense to us, we gather as a church every Lord's Day to, to remember who God is and what he's done, lest we forget. And when we forget, what happens? Bad things, man. Bad things. That was old Dennis Hopper commercial football. No? Okay. Exodus 13.3, then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. 
In Exodus 13.3, God's people are being instructed to remember God's salvation on their behalf. And, and then we have, of course, after the Passover, what these annual feasts that were instituted to commemorate or remember God's rescue on their behalf. So remembering was to be a communal activity. When God's people gather together, there's a call to remember. And remembering is at the heart of our worship. In Exodus 20, verse 8, which is our passage for today, God's rescued people are instructed to remember the, the Sabbath. But to remember what exactly? we got to remember where this day comes from. Where does this day come from? It goes back to creation, right? I love going back to Genesis, so let's do that. In remembering the Sabbath, what was Israel being charged to remember exactly? Well, God is the creator, right? God is the creator. He's Lord. He's king. The Lord in Genesis 1 is found really doing two things. He's working, and then he rests. He works, and he rests. And the resting doesn't stop, and I'll hopefully explain that. In his work, in Genesis chapter 1, God establishes, he creates his good world, he fills it with his creatures, and more specifically his, what's the crown of his creation? Us, his image bearers. And then he what? He rests. And what did that signify? There's been a lot written on this. His rest signified his enthronement as king, as lord over the universe, right? I mean, it's like the king goes to battle, he fights for his people, they win, and then he sits down. He's enthroned, he's lord, right? And that's what's being recognized here. He creates, and then he rests, but his rest was an enthronement. It was a glorious recognition that he is the creator, he is lord, and he is, he's worthy, Amen? The call to rest is at the heart of what it means to be an image bearer. And some of you are probably excited to hear that. You know, I get to rest? Nice. Because I'm always work, 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 go, go, go. But you're saying what it means to be an image bearer, resting is part of it. Yes, that's part of our vocation, church. Adam and Eve were created to reflect the creator. And what does the creator do after he creates Adam and Eve? He, he rested. Therefore, to rest is to imitate the Lord. I put this in your notes, I believe. The purpose of the Sabbath was to confess the Lord as creator and to commit or consecrate oneself to him. Okay, so the purpose of the Sabbath was to do what? It was to confess that I'm the creature and he's the creator. It was a call to consecrate oneself to him, to commit oneself to him. The purpose of, and this will make sense, the purpose of the Sabbath was for Israel to remember the most fundamental truth in all the world. A truth that we're reminded of in Commandments 1 and 2. So you see, all of this kind of fits together, okay? God and God alone is the Lord God. And because of that, Israel and us are to have no other gods before him. He's Lord, and he alone. Amen? And therefore, he deserves our what? Our worship. Not the things of this world, not other creatures, not ourselves, but he alone. Now, Deuteronomy 5. Who's familiar with Deuteronomy 5? Nobody. That's all right. Let me refresh. 
Deuteronomy 5 represents a parallel account to Exodus 20. Okay, so we see the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy 5. But listen to what is associated with the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. This is really cool. Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a what? A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here, the Lord associates the Sabbath with his rescue. That's really significant. So therefore, the Sabbath is meant to point God's people to, number one, his purpose in creation, but also his grace in rescue. So everybody say Sabbath. Okay. Thank. Creation and rescue. He's the creator and he's the rescuer. And the Sabbath was meant to remind God's people that God is the creator and the savior. Amen. Those are two great truths. And they reveal a lot about God. So for Israel, the Sabbath was a time to remember and recognize the Lord as creator and savior. The Sabbath was a call to worship. Now, I think this is going to be helpful. There's, there is a climax. There's a buildup. So do you recall the Ten Commandments? There's how many halves? How many parts in the Ten Commandments? There's two, right? Because the first half, Commandments 1, 2, 3, and 4, deal with man and his relationship with God. So there's the vertical focus. And the second half of the Ten Commandments deal with man and his relationship with his fellow man, right? Both are important. But in the first half, there's this build up toward a climax. Now, this is really sweet. Check this out. I hope this makes sense. Commandments 1, 2, and 3 reveal God as God alone. They reveal his supreme worth, and they teach us to honor his name, and they teach us to remember who he is and what he's done, okay? And we would say, well, yeah, that's why we gather as well. We gather to remember who God is and what he's done. We gather to worship. Now, again, here's the climax. There's a climax in the first half of the Ten Commandments. The first three reveal the character and the worth of God. And the fourth, the fourth, the fourth and final, right? Because, again, in that first half, the first half of the Ten Commandments deal with man and his relationship to God, okay? So... The final commandment in the first half, one, two, and three, this is who God is. Number four is the call to respond. It's the call to worship. This is who God is. This is who God is. He's the only God. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He's the Savior. There's no one like him. Worship him. Okay, does that make sense? That's the buildup. Worship him. So the fourth commandment is a call to respond to the first three. It's a call to, it's a call to worship. Now, I mentioned this earlier, we see this emphasis on remembering in the New Testament as well. It's all over the place. I can think of like five or six right now, but I'll read one. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. We read this as a church once a month, Sunday evening, when we take the Lord's Supper. Okay, so Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, when you take this meal, remember who I am and what I've done. 
Don't forget. As the church, we gather under the word to remember, and thus to be reminded of the gospel. The first action tied to the fourth commandment is to remember. And then second, what's the second verb? Keep. Holy, good, okay. It's like two minutes ago. Keep holy. So remember, we unpack that. It denotes worship, right? But also keep holy, which is also worship language. This comes from the Hebrew verb, kavash. means to consecrate, to dedicate, or to set apart as holy. Alistair Begg, he writes, and this is really helpful, the idea behind the word holy is that of being set apart from and for. One day in seven, one day in seven is set apart from the ordinary run of human activity for the express purpose of rest and worship. Now, that doesn't mean that we only worship on the Lord's day. We worship every day, all the time. Amen? But one day was set apart to take a break from kind of the ordinary run of activity and to focus on the Lord in worship. Now, the two verbs, to remember and to keep holy, are related. Israel was commanded to recognize this day, to commemorate it, for the purpose of setting it apart as holy. This was a special day. Now, before we look at what the fourth commandment means for us, the church, let's do a little work in the New Testament. Okay? We must remember that Jesus transformed the fourth commandment, which doesn't mean that he eradicated it. Okay? However, in Christ, we should approach it differently. We should. We should approach it differently. Now, what is Jesus found doing in the Gospels on the Sabbath day? What sort of activities is he found doing? He casts out demons. He heals the sick and the lame. He teaches with great authority. That's significant. So Jesus has a lot to say about the Sabbath, but he also had a lot to do on the Sabbath. Paul as well talked about the Sabbath quite a bit. What did Paul say? Colossians 2 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? The substance belongs to Christ. According to Paul, Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath. Now, maybe you're thinking, cool, but what does that mean? <laughs> Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath. Jesus is the place of rest. Amen? Jesus is the place of rest. He is the reason we rest spiritually in his work of salvation. Now, there are two dangers related to the fourth commandment. Are you ready? Two dangers. First, there's the danger of completely ignoring the fourth commandment and treating it as if it has no relevance for the church today. What we're seeing is that the twin principles of rest and worship remain. We must remember that Sunday is the Lord's day, a day set aside for worship with the body of Christ. This cannot be neglected. Amen? Then there's the danger of becoming overly dogmatic about how we observe it. Kevin DeYoung reminds us the judicial penalties 
and ceremonial legalities of resting on Saturday have been eliminated. Here's the point. We don't observe to earn. We observe to honor. We don't observe to earn. We observe to honor. We observe because it's good and wise. And it's how we show our gratitude to the Lord for what he's done. God's people are meant to rest. And this includes worshiping with the body of Christ, trusting in the Lord's provision, practicing assurance in the present, and hoping in the future. And I'm going to unpack all of that under point three. But again, we don't rest to receive rest. Christ, thankfully, has done that for us. We rest to rejoice in the rest he's provided for us. And we rest to reorient our minds on the gospel. Again, at the heart of the Sabbath, okay, for point one, what is the Sabbath? At the heart of the Sabbath was a call to remember who God is, what he's done, and to respond to those things in worship, okay? So the purpose of the Sabbath was to remember who God is, what he's done, and to worship in response. Everybody say, who God is, what he's done, and to worship in response. That's good, church. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. All right, so first we defined the Sabbath, and we looked at what it means to remember and keep this day holy. Next, let's get into the theology of the Sabbath. Maybe that scares you, but don't be scared, because this is fun. We're going to do a biblical theology of the Sabbath. Now, what does that mean, biblical theology? Biblical theology is really the, the art of understanding the Bible, the big picture of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. What is this big story? And as Christians, if we read the Bible, we're going to notice there are big themes that are found from Genesis to Revelation. What are some of those themes? Promise and fulfillment. I could tell you the whole story of Scripture just by using that theme, promise and fulfillment. God made promises to save and rescue. In Christ they were fulfilled, right? Or kingdom of God. God desires to rule over his people. Christ the King has come. He fought the battle and he won. Amen? And those who believe in Jesus are part of God's kingdom. Guess what another theme is that appears from Eden to the new creation? Sabbath. Sabbath. So how does the Sabbath relate to Jesus? How does the Sabbath relate to Jesus? Let's talk about the theology of the Sabbath. What did this most holy day symbolize at the time of Jesus? How did Jesus fulfill it? Why is it important? Why does this day matter? This is the why. We've talked about the what of the Sabbath. This is the why of the Sabbath. Now, I mentioned this already, but in the Old Testament, the Sabbath signaled God's enthronement as the sovereign Lord upon the universe. He creates everything. Some things? No. Everything. And then he rests, which signifies what? The king sits down. The work's been done. And we need to recognize that he is Lord. Amen? That's what the Sabbath is all about. It's about recognizing, remembering who he is and what he's done. He's creator, he's savior. And we gather to remember those things. Okay? The Sabbath signified God's kingship and the king's desire to dwell with his kingdom people. Essentially what God is doing, he's inviting us to enjoy that rest with him. Isn't that sweet? He's inviting us to be a part of that rest. I mean, who wants to rest? I'm not just talking physical rest. I hope that's clear. Spiritual rest. I mean, 
Who wants to be satisfied? Who desires joy? You'll never know joy until you know Christ because our greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God, is only found in Jesus. That's rest. And you'll never know that rest until you know Jesus. Amen? And we'll come back to that too. Now, I put this in your notes, and I think this is going to be helpful. This is the kind of stuff I like to write about. There's a pattern in Scripture, okay? A Sabbath pattern. And it echoes across redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. And it helps us to make sense of the big story of Scripture. And you can write this down. And I changed one of the words for the purpose of alliteration. Three C's. Here's the pattern we see. God conquers. You can write this down. I would. God creates and God communes. He communes with his people in rest. God conquers God creates and God communes. The three C's. I had dwells initially, but I changed dwells to communes. It just, it's more memorable. I want to look at Eden, the Garden of Eden, Canaan, Jesus, and the new heaven and new earth. Okay? And we're going to see this pattern. This is really helpful. Eden, the Garden of Eden. God brings order to chaos, right? The chaos of the uninhabitable world. There, there's this phrase in Hebrew. You'll never forget this. Tohu vabohu. What'd you call me? It means formless and without void, right? So the earth was uninhabitable. It was formless and without void. It was tohu vabohu. I love Hebrew, by the way. Let's just read it in English because we don't speak Hebrew. I read it, but I can't speak it very well. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Lord makes the uninhabitable world habitable. He creates his image bearers and then enters into his Sabbath rest. This involves the Lord dwelling with his people, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so again, God conquers. He brings order out of chaos. He creates and then he communes. And then we get to Canaan, the land of Canaan. This is the conquest. God rescues his people out of slavery, and he gives them a land. He gives them a place, right? And God means to dwell with his people there. How sweet is that? Think about that. God doesn't just save and say, okay, good luck, but he saves for relationship. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. That's amazing. So God conquers, not Israel, but God conquers Israel's enemies, He creates a covenant people, Israel. He carves out a sacred space for Israel. And again, that space is the land of Canaan. But the Bible describes this as a Sabbath land where they have rest from their enemies, right? Rest with God, rest from their enemies. Okay, two for two so far, Chris. Let's get to Jesus. Jesus conquers the enemies of sin, death, and Satan. Amen? No greater enemies. Sin, death, and Satan. Who conquers them? Jesus. And then Jesus enters into the true Sabbath rest, into the holy of holies, beyond the veil, beyond the veil, following his new creation work, the creation of a new people, the church. And he is our mediator there. And we who are in Christ... I've entered into that rest. Amen? We are resting now. He conquered the enemies. He created his people. 
And we enjoy rest with him. We commune with him by the Spirit. Amen? Do you see it? He is the place of rest. In fact, in Matthew 11, what does he say? Hey, you want rest? Come to me. I'm the place of rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. That's the rest we're talking about, okay? You'll never know joy. You'll never know peace. You'll never know rest, spiritual rest, until you know Jesus. Because only Jesus can meet because he has met our greatest need, which is forgiveness and a relationship with God. All right, now let's go all the way to the end. We started at the beginning. We're going to the end, the new heaven and the new earth. At the return of the king. Aren't you ready? I hope you're ready. At the return of the king, all the enemies of God will be swallowed up forever. There will be a new creation. And God's redeemed will dwell with him. How long? How long will this rest be? Forever. There is an eternal rest to come. Amen? Eternal rest is the king's redemptive goal for his people. Now, as we saw earlier, the Sabbath was a day set apart to commemorate and recognize the Lord as creator and savior. What does Jesus do on the Sabbath? What does Jesus do on the Sabbath? He delivers the demon-possessed, Mark 1. He heals those who are diseased, Mark 3. And this signaled, what Jesus did on the Sabbath signaled rest from these great enemies, sin and evil. Essentially, Jesus on the Sabbath does good. Amen? He does good. Oh, and man, I mean, we're talking, you know, Jesus says a lot of things that wow us. Like, wow, did he really say that? Like in Mark 2, you know, I have the authority to forgive sin. Oh, well, hey, but listen to what he says in Mark 2, 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Somebody say, what? That's good, probably the kids, yeah. What? Verse 28 of Mark 2 reads like a summary or an inference. Jesus appears to be drawing a conclusion. Jesus is here making a grandiose statement, a massive statement, an earth-shattering statement pertaining to his identity and his authority. Now, he says, even the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's Son of Man? Fourteen times in Mark's Gospel, Jesus refers to himself as Son of Man. Where does that come from? Old Testament, where? Daniel 7, 13 and 14. One like a son of man, he's brought before the Ancient of Days, and all dominion and glory and power are given to him. And then we see the nations coming to him to worship him. The Jews in the first century believed that this was an exalted, divine, messianic figure. Like, man, this king, whoa, watch out now. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the guy. That's me, right? Jesus takes on that role. He takes on that identity. He's claiming to be the king, but then he adds another title. I'm Lord of the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what does this mean? He's Lord of the Sabbath. We know, I hope by now, that Yahweh instituted the Sabbath at the conclusion of his creative work. He creates, he works, and then he rests. Now, for Jesus to take on the title Lord of the Sabbath is to clearly assume divine authority. Authority to bring to light the true meaning of the Sabbath and to subsequently fulfill it. It signals the beginning of the king's new creation work. And this is in your notes. I wanted you to have this. Jesus, the Messiah and God in the flesh, has come to bring fulfillment 
to the true meaning of the Sabbath, which is what? To lead a redeemed people into his Sabbath rest, to provide rest from the greater enemies of sin, death, and Satan. Who wants rest? I want rest. Where is it found? In Jesus. Who alone can give us rest from the enemies of sin, death, and Satan? Only Christ. Come to Jesus for what? For rest. I love Isaiah. Or Dave, Isaiah. Isaiah 11.10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Who's the root of Jesse? Whose daddy's Jesse? That's David's daddy, right? And who came from David's line? What was the promise? All throughout the Psalms, all throughout Isaiah, Ezekiel as well. Jesus, right? Jesus comes from the line of David. So this is a promise about the coming king. And what do we learn? And that day, the root of Jesse will stand, this coming king, as a banner for some people, no, all the peoples, the nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. That's what the text says. He's going to provide what? Rest. Oh, (laughs) is that a good promise? And what did Jesus do to provide rest? He lived the perfect life we could not live. He paid our debt, amen? And then he died for us. He took our punishment. Man, we, we deserve not rest. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal wrath. But Jesus took that punishment for us. And then he rose again, defeating death. And the promise in Scripture is if we trust in him, we can be forgiven. No longer objects of God's wrath. No longer eternally separated from God, but now enjoying eternal rest with God. As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is found doing things that clearly reveal the end goal of the Sabbath, healing the sick. And this is where the health and wealth gospel gets it wrong. It's an over-realized eschatology. That's a big phrase. Let me me unpack that. We want health now, right? We don't want to suffer right now, but guess what? The Lord uses it for our good and his glory. We still live in a broken world, amen? But here's why I amen that. Because we know that things are not going to remain this way. We suffer now. Our bodies break down. Okay? We lose loved ones. We, we lose possessions. But one day, one day, what? No more sickness. No more death. No more pain. No more sin. Amen? It's coming. It's coming. Jesus, throughout his ministry, as he casts out demons as he heals the sick, is saying, this is what I've come to do. You're getting a glimpse of what eternal life with me, my eternal rest is going to look like. What's going to be gone? Evil, sickness, and suffering. Not yet, but one day. Amen? That's the rest we look forward to. Jesus has given us a preview. He's saying, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. And those who trust in me, this is your end. Oh, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. And Jesus fills out the Sabbath. What the Sabbath has always pointed to has been fulfilled in Jesus. Therefore, we gather every Lord's day to honor the Lord of the Sabbath with his people. All right, so we've defined the Sabbath. What does it mean? 
stoppage. <laughs> We've examined its theological significance. We've looked at how Jesus has ultimately fulfilled the Sabbath. He's provided us rest from the greater enemies of sin, death, and Satan. Amen? But what? Goodness, what does it mean for the church today? What do we do with the fourth commandment today? What does it call for? I want to provide us quickly with four Sabbath principles. And I'm going to use the adjective holy to describe each one. Four things. Four Sabbath principles that are relevant for the church today. Number one, holy gathering. Holy, taking notes, throw in the blank, holy gathering. Remembering to regularly worship with the body of Christ. We gather, why? We gather to honor the king because he's what? He's worthy. I, I love this illustration. I'm borrowing this from a pastor friend of mine in Washington. He said, imagine a king coming to town, okay? And we find out six months in advance, this king, this important dignitary is coming to town. And guess what? The word's getting out. There's flyers in the mail. There's messengers sent out knocking on doors. You know, you drive down the, the highway and all those big billboards, they're filled with information about the coming king, the date, the place, all that. And in fact, the, the biggest, what's the biggest place? I guess the Expo Center, maybe, right? So the, the biggest venue is rented out in Lufkin. Everybody knows the king's coming on this day. And he's a good king. He's a good king. In fact, he's done something to save us. In fact, he's God. Whoa! It's a big day. It's important, right? And we're going to gather for his honor. We're going to gather to sing his praises. And the day arrives and five people show up. Would the king be honored? Of course not. Why do we gather? We gather to honor the king because of who he is and what he's done. Amen? And when we don't gather, when we don't prioritize this day and this gathering, what are we essentially saying with our, our actions? He's not worthy. Now, following Jewish tradition, the church is called to set apart one day of the week for corporate worship. According to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the church must not neglect the weekly gathering of God's people, as some were doing even 2,000 years ago, right? The writer says, don't do that. Don't neglect this gathering as some are in the habit of doing. But when you gather, stir each other up to love and good works because the king's coming back. The day's approaching. Encourage each other. Don't miss out on that. Now, because what changed the day? We don't gather on Saturdays. We gather on Sunday. Why? Because what happened three days later? The resurrection. So because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Sunday became the Lord's Day for the church, a day set apart for corporate worship. We see that, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Christians violate the fourth commandment, when they view Sunday worship with God's people as optional. That's optional. As good but not necessary. Or as appropriate as long as it fits my busy life and busy schedule. As long as there's not a game competing. I, mean, I love my cowboys, right? Hunting season, listen, hey guys, when hunting season starts, you're not going to see me. I I'm probably as excited or more excited than most of you about hunting season. But I'm not going to miss gathering for hunting. Come on. I love to hunt. I like watching football. But what takes priority for God's people? Gathering for the who, whose glory? Ours? No, for his. Again, we gather to remember the gospel, God's saving work on our behalf. We must not neglect this day. 
Last week, we talked about preparing for Sunday. It all boils down to how we view Sunday. How do you view Sunday? I mean, if you view it as a day set apart for God's people to gather and remember and sing praise to the Lord, we're going to come prepared. We're going to come ready. Here's the question. Is Sunday the climax of your week? Or is it just another day? Is Sunday the climax of your week? Is everything building up to this one day? As one brother has said, is it the climax or the collapse? What's that song? Everybody is working for the weekend. Everybody in our culture looks forward to Friday and Saturday, right? Friday and Saturday, that's what we're looking forward to. And then Sunday, we just want to sleep in. Man, Sunday is the climax. Everything, I mean, hopefully with every fiber of your being, you're looking forward to Sunday. I can't wait to gather with the body. I can't wait to see my brothers and sisters and to hear God's truth and to sing of his worth and beauty. Does gathering with God's people every Lord's Day take precedence in your life? Is baseball or football or hunting or fishing king or is Jesus king? You know, living in Washington, it was interesting. We get like two months of good weather. It was hard, man. It was beautiful. I mean, those two months were incredible. And I would notice that when summer came around, our summer would start like at the end of July, right? Into August. Man, where's so-and-so? Man, where are they? And I call them. Oh, it was such a beautiful day, Pastor. We just we wanted to go on a drive. Go on a drive? You should have gone on a drive and ended up in our parking lot. <laughs> like, what? What happened? I'm going to drive after I'll go with you. Come on. Again, baseball, football, which I enjoy all those things. Hunting, fishing. Are those things king or is Jesus king? It's seen in your commitment to gather with the king's people every Lord's Day. How you view Sunday, write this down. You don't have to, but just remember it. How you view Sunday is a litmus test for the believer's spiritual maturity. It really is. It is a litmus test for the believer's spiritual maturity. Gathering with the local body every Lord's Day is meant to be the most meaningful thing we do. Nothing compares to this. Amen? Nothing compares to this. This is the primary context for doing the one another's. Do you long for this gathering? That's the question I'm getting at. Do you long for this gathering? If not, okay, now be honest. If you're like, not really. I mean, it's just another day in my book. You know, I go when it's appropriate when it fits with my schedule i mean it's fun to sing and you know hear a message and um you know kind of check off the box check in a box right i mean I've, you know if, if you're batting 500 you're a pretty good baseball player i've never known anyone about 500 if i come twice a month it's fine it's fine what well, is it do you long for this gathering if not heaven will appear strange if you don't long for this gathering heaven will appear strange, for this gathering is meant to prepare us for glory. Amen? Number two, holy trust. Holy trust. Remembering to trust the Lord for our daily provision. A second principle to be gleaned from the fourth commandment is the importance of actual physical rest. And you're going to see why that's important. Rest is programmed into our week, according to the creation account in Genesis 1. The Sabbath is a reminder to trust in the Lord for his provision. Again, we're always go, 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 and busy, 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 right? We're nonstop. 
And more than anything, what do we neglect? If you're like me, we neglect rest. The Sabbath is a call to slow down and savor the Lord and to ultimately rest in Him for our needs. If we don't rest, then it's an indicator that we don't really trust the Lord for His provision, right? I gotta do it, I gotta take care of it, I don't got time to rest. Are you really trusting the Lord then? It's important, refreshing, and God honoring for God's people to take the time to rest from their work. We need to view the Lord's day as a day to purposefully and intentionally reorient our minds on Christ and his word. Sunday is meant to prepare us for the other six days. It's a day to be recharged, amen? I hope that's true for you. It's a day to be reminded of our creaturely status. It's so easy to slip into, I'm the creator, I'm God. No, you're not, I'm not. We're creatures, he's the creator, therefore we got to depend on him, we got to rest in him. I don't like recharging my batteries. You know, I have, uh, I, I like my tools, you know. I have those 18-volt batteries for my drill and my circular saw and my pole saw, and I use those quite a bit. But if I don't recharge them, what's going to happen? A big fat nothing. Nothing's going to get done. No work is going to get done. i got to stop, and i got to recharge those batteries. We need to rest from our work and remember to trust the Lord for our daily needs. In fact, Jesus teaches us to pray this way, doesn't he? Matthew 6, 11, Give us this day our, our daily bread. R- recall the Lord's provision of manna. What was he seeking to teach the Israelites? He was calling his rescued people to what? To trust him and to trust in his provision. At the heart of the Lord's day is a reminder to trust the Lord for our daily needs, our spiritual and physical needs. To trust that rest is good and needed and that he will provide us with what we need. Number three, holy rest. That sounds very similar to what we just thought. It's different though, holy rest. Remembering to rest in the finished work of Jesus and how quick we are to forget that, right? We start looking at our works, our church attendance, our Bible reading. God, I'm doing pretty good. I deserve rights. No, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I don't deserve I deserve hell. It's only because of Christ and what he's done in my trust in him that I have right standing with God. More than anything, the Sabbath points to a person. Again, in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus invites us to rest in him. He is the place of rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Mark 2, 28. And those who rest in him, no longer seeking to gain right standing with God, by their own works, but trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find true and everlasting rest for their souls. For the follower of Jesus, proper observance of the Sabbath is practiced when we rest in Jesus and in his sacrifice on our behalf. I think I put this in your notes as well. If I didn't, I'm sorry. Sabbath rest is all about prioritizing Jesus and his good work in our lives. Do you struggle with this today, resting in Jesus and what he's done? Are you quick like me to to start looking at your own works for right standing with God or favor with God, forgetting what he's done and who he is? Again, why do we gather so that we don't forget, so that we remember? Do you continue to look to your own works for right standing with God? This is a really important question. 
This, when you do that, when I do that, is a violation of the fourth commandment. So get into the habit of preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Wake up with the gospel. Amen? Meditate on the gospel throughout the day and go to bed thinking about the the gospel. The good news that God in his grace has made a way for sinners like us to be reconciled to God. It's through the work of Jesus and not our work that we can come to God. It's through his work and not ours. Amen? And the Sabbath is all about remembering that. We need to be reminded of the good news. The Lord is honored when we rest in his work. Is true? Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to that. What's Paul saying? We've been justified by faith. Not good works. Faith in who? Faith has an object, Jesus. And because of that faith in Jesus, by the Spirit, we have peace. We have rest. Oh, aren't you thankful for it? All right, last thing, holy hope. I mentioned this, that, that this Sabbath language is eschatologically charged. It, more than any of the commandments, drives our perspective to the future. We're to look forward to the rest to come. Amen? Because when we gather as a church... We're preparing, but also we're previewing what is to come. So holy hope, remembering, number four, holy hope, remembering to hope in the eternal rest of glory. Finally, as believers, and I hope, I hope, I did a funeral on Friday morning, and man, there were a bunch of senior saints there, and they're closer, maybe not, I mean, I could die today, that's fine, that's the Lord's will, but probably closer to being with the Lord than I am face to face. And I said, do you long for that? Do you long? And they, many were, yes, yes, brother, we do. As believers, we long for the eternal rest to come. When heaven comes down and God establishes the new heaven and the new earth, God's people will enter into their consummate rest in joyful and eternal fellowship with the king, amen, and the king's people. Now, do we rest now in the Lord? Yes. I have rest now. I know that my greatest need has been met. I know that right now I am represented by King Jesus before the Father in heaven. And that when Satan, the accuser, accuses me, he has nothing to stand on. I rest in his righteousness. Amen? And I hope you do as well. So we rest as Christians now in the finished work of Jesus and the implications of that work applied to us by the Spirit. We rest in knowing that it is well with our souls, but we still suffer, we still struggle, and therefore we long for the perfect rest to come, the rest that is eternal in nature and ours in Jesus Christ. When we gather on Sunday, especially when we take the Lord's Supper, I read 1 Corinthians 11 earlier, we are meant to long for that rest. I mean, isn't it true that when you sing to Jesus and you're reminded through what we sing and what we hear in the Word of who God is and what He's done, that you're just like, oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait to be with my Lord. Again, when we gather on Sunday, when we gather as God's people, we are meant to long for that rest. Our gaze, our gaze should be diverted, lifted up to our future hope when we sing the Word, hear the Word, and pray the Word. Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 
there remains a future end time rest for God's redeemed people in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Day, and especially the gathering of the church on the Lord's Day, is meant to drive our attention forward to that most glorious day. The Lord's Day, when we gather like this, is meant to instill daily rhythms for the rest of the week. What we do on the Lord's Day is to be carried over on Monday through Saturday. Amen? In sum, let me just sum it up and pray. In sum, Christ and the good news about Christ has transformed the Sabbath. We now celebrate the Lord's Day, a new kind of Sabbath. Every Sunday we come under the King's rule by gathering with His church, look around, for corporate worship, trusting in His provision, resting in the sacrifice of Christ, and hoping in the final consummate rest to come, a rest promised to all believers when we will be with the Lord in a new heaven, in a new earth. And what's not going to be there? Pain, suffering, sin, and death. And that's ours in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me ask this question. Are you resting today? Are you resting in Jesus? He offers it. I mean, that's why Matthew 11 is so beautiful. Come to me and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest for your souls. Have you come to Christ? Have you acknowledged that I'm a sinner? I can do nothing to save myself. The Bible is clear that because I'm a sinner, I deserve God's forever punishment. I've sinned against a forever God, therefore I deserve forever punishment. But the good news is, Christ offers rest. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Trust in Jesus and you'll have rest. Rest for your souls. A rest that begins now. Amen? I mean, when you trust in Jesus, ooh, that weight comes off and you know that you know that you're forgiven and right with God. Not because of what you've done, but because of what He's done. Amen? And then, no matter what you face in life, you can know two things. One, I'm right with God, and even though this life is hard, I got an eternal rest coming my way. Oh, but only in Christ. Only in Christ. So, two things. Three things. If you know that rest, if that's true for you today, rejoice. If you don't, Repent and trust in Jesus. And thirdly, if you're a believer and you know people that don't have that rest right now, go to them, tell them the gospel, the good news, and plead with them to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus for, for rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord of the Sabbath, who because of his perfect life, and sacrificial death on the cross in our place, and his glorious, victorious resurrection from the dead, we can have rest for our souls by trusting in him, turning from our sin, looking to him for salvation, forgiveness, in a right relationship with you. Father, we rejoice in the rest that is found in your son. And we pray for any today in this place who are not resting in Jesus. Oh God, give them eyes to see regenerate their hearts, help them to see their dire position without you, to see their need for you, Jesus, to turn from their sin and to look to Jesus for rest. And Father, lastly, make us aware of people in our lives, friends, family, co-workers, with school-starting classmates, even teachers, who are not enjoying that rest right now, who are not in a relationship with God through trusting in Christ. Father, give us the boldness to go to them, to tell them the bad news, 
but then to follow up with the good news that in Jesus there is rest, there is forgiveness. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. Feed our souls, and I pray that we would long for next week when we can come together again to hear your word and sing your word together as we prepare for and preview glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.